All right, you ready to do this? Yeah. Okay, I got an intro. Okay, sweet. Spoiler alert! This show show explores television content that's been available for consumption for quite some time. If a spoiler or two slips into the conversation, well, you were warned. Here is this week's show show with Sweets and Slaney. Uh, I talked with Duncan recently about being the gardener at the public gardens. Was it you I was having that conversation no. with? Duncan and I went out to breakfast a few weeks ago, and then um, there was a couple hours before I had to go to work, so we were just like, we sat on the bleachers at uh, at the common, we were just kind of like hanging out and chatting, and we saw this guy um, mowing the lawn, and we started talking about how that's his job, Yeah. and then it occurred to me that um, my brother's girlfriend, someone in her family, it's kind of like a long, I know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody. Uh, this guy used to be the chief gardener at the public gardens. And so Duncan and I talked about how that guy didn't get that job without having a passion for life and sure. growing things. And in that passion, he achieved the highest the highest job you can have. He was right. working at the largest Victorian gardens in North America. And Isn't it the, the largest Victorian gardens in North America? Yeah. Wow, I never knew that fact. And just walking around the public gardens, you can see that somebody takes pride in the flower beds that are in here. This is right. not done hastily. This is done carefully and lovingly. And so that's a guy who can go in and zone out yeah. and apply his own care to something that the rest of the world doesn't understand. Mm -hmm. And Duncan and I talked about how that guy probably doesn't make a lot of money, but there's like peace in what he does. Yeah. And so most people don't have that have that uh have that good fortune and like i do an artistic thing right but it brings me as much discomfort and stress as it does rewards sure yeah and like do you, but you enjoy doing it yes well and 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 the feeling of having it having done it well like mm -hmm. the last two days like i did a double yesterday mm -hmm. and then today went really well too so just the last 48 hours has me feeling really awesome. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so that's very satisfying. Mm -hmm. But it's it's two very um, very different extremes. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I know what you mean. I wonder if there really is. And it's funny. I've I've read a lot about you know the whole like passion hypothesis and like still so many people say like find something you're passionate about because that's going to be the only thing that's going to like like interest you in working those late hours and and you know all the rest that comes with it but there's other things that say you don't really find your passion until you've worked at it for a number of years yeah. and you realize like once you kind of get into a groove after that you know like Malcolm Gladwell 10,000 hours or like whatever that's when you start to like realize this is your passion but you kind of have to work to find your passion but then are you passionate about the thing itself or are you passionate about how well you do it that's what I'm wondering like like do you do you just go into whatever you feel most passionate about at the time? Because that's a kind of a, what am I most passionate about? A lot of people don't know what they're most passionate about. No, no, I have no idea. And the other thing is the fear that you will sully the thing you're passionate about by turning it into a, a work thing. Yeah. Like I do, I have, like I said, I have a creative job where I get to keep my creative juices flowing, but I also have to have another creative project going that's not my job. Right. That is not contingent on my paying rent or for groceries mm -hmm. uh, because that's a thing that I can so whether it's this podcast or writing short stories or whatever I need to have these other things so that I'm doing a thing for me and not just for the service of getting up every day yeah I know what you mean 
it feels good to have something like this. Even at the end of the day, if you're like, ah, well, at least I've got this thing that I do on the side. Yeah. <laughs> That's like, you know, clearly we're enjoying doing it. And if it doesn't go well, and if we have a bad podcast or whatever, which we really never have had a podcast that I was like, oh, I hate how poorly We're that went. We're ashamed. Because we don't put too much pressure on it. Right. And so if we did have one that went like catastrophically, no one's here to say, oh, I just realized you actually can't do this. Right. You've been fooling us all along. Right, you can't right. do this. And there is a sense of of fraudulence in, I, th- I think, not just maybe being a radio announcer, but like sitting at a desk. Because mm. you grow up and your dad sat at a desk. Yeah. And your dad was not a person. He was your dad. Right. And so it's weird that you you go out into the world and mm-hmm. somebody buys that you're actually responsible enough to handle their thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're so right. It's Yeah, it's, it's just weird the way that, you know, is there any other way that society could have worked out not to get too deep? But like, <laughs> but is there any other way that it could have worked other than like nine to fives? Uh, behind desks i i really want to hope so and there are other places like i know in like sweden norway they do like three days on three days off well some places do but it's not it's not the overall rule no i no i think definitely the strongest one is the the five day work week the nine to five 40 hours a week yeah i think probably but i've often uh drifted off imagining how i would rearrange those hours to best satisfy my happiness yeah like if it was 40 hours a week a 10 hour work day is not that implausible like a lot of people work 10 hour work days anyway sure and if you're going to cap it off at 40 which really everyone should yeah but that's easier said than done mm-hmm. it would be so wonderful to have four 10-hour work days a week yeah and to have because every time there's a holiday and we get a three-day weekend all I do is just spend those three days going, I feel so cheated that this isn't always isn't the, the norm. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. it's the only time you come back from a weekend actually feeling like you weren't ripped off. Right. And I think I've said before on the podcast, it's so ingrained in us now that this is the way it is that we don't even we don't even ask for it to change. Yeah. We complain every week when Monday arrives. Yeah. But we don't expect it to change. But on paper, it's fundamentally ridiculous to expect people to work five out of every seven days until they're 65. I know. That's not and then life. That's not even like, yeah, it's not even necessarily a thing that you can retire at 65 anymore, no. which is also what I find so fucking funny about buying a house and stuff. Because when you buy a house, you go into debt. Then when you pay off that house, you're super pumped mm-hmm. and you're, you could have erased that debt by never having that house which I know wouldn't be the investment or whatever, yeah. but like you would just have money. Like right. you would never have taken on debt. I know it's supposed to be the nest egg thing, but like you could probably still save quite a huge chunk of change if you just never buy a house. And there are lots of people who rent for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Although in many cases, those are just the people who don't want to take on the responsibilities of being a homeowner, which right. is perfectly valid. Right. Like many people, do you mean many people that sell their house? And, or just let that have never bought a house. Well, like you certainly, you must know adults who have just always oh, had sure. apartments. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, it, it's, again, it's it's more common among people who have not necessarily built a family right. or whatever. Or, or people that, that live in bigger cities, I think. Would you say there's a part of you, because there's definitely something in you that badly wants to own property. Yeah. Like that's a thing that you've had for there, a little while. There definitely is. I mean, like, and it's weird because I haven't, done it but like 
and my friends that do own houses are like, ah, oh, man, it's sweet. Like, yeah. you know, you don't have any, you've got your own deck, you've got a backyard, you've got just extra space. You can. Is that the driving force behind your wanting to, or do you feel like at this point in your life, you're owed the the luxury of having your own house? Like you've worked f- this long, like it's time that I, I upgraded to a house. Yeah, I don't even know if I think that it's, owed as much as it's just something that would be nice to have at this point in time you know i'm 27 like owning a house some people say it's like why not go in earlier and pay it off sooner and then yeah you know and also like some people say you know it's just as manageable as as what you were doing renting but you know you have to potentially do more yard work and shovel and all that stuff yeah but no i i just think i'm at a point in my life where it's kind of uh, necessary, you know, Jen and I, and then whatever comes next after that, that necessitates a house, <laughs> right, right. you know? Yeah. I don't know. And like, also the, the age milestones have changed generationally. Like it occurred to me recently that I think it occurred to me around when I turned 25, mm-hmm. that when my parents were 26, they got married. Yeah. So like by the crazy. by the time they were my age, they were already dating each other. Right. Which is super crazy. Yeah. Because uh, you can't even imagine them being like you. Yeah. At one point, and then when they were twenty eight or twenty nine, I was born, mm. and like it's I'm just not going to be on the same schedule as them, and I'm fine with that, by sure. the way. But it's bizarre that that's what is built in for some people. But did I tell you that book, The Defining Decade? I believe so. Where it's it it really like breaks down like okay well like you need to be realistic about this if you want to have kids like you're statistically going to want to do that before you're like thirty five yes or at least before like the woman is thirty five yes now like every year you wait after thirty like the risks go up by whatever percentage for sure and it's like if you haven't you know secured a job by this point yeah you might want to think about that like stop traveling around the the world for you know 10 years like you can't do that through your whole 20s because yeah you know your 20s is a fundamental point for like gaining experience and it, anyways it's like a, a psychologist who specializes in talking to people in their 20s and it's interesting it's both interesting and like kind of a relief to read sure because you're like oh, okay i've been like working like i've got kind of got it figured out you know i've got a partner i've got like yeah these basic needs are met well, and you're not a shit show. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, exactly. It's it's nice to be validated in being told that, like, okay, I do have some some grown up accolades, right? And there and there's definitely stories of said shit shows, like mm-hmm. pulling their lives together. Yep, and like having a little bit more of a stick to itiveness. And um, it's interesting you mentioned travel because I never really had a huge wanderlust, right? But like, there was a time where I was like, oh, it'd be so cool to go there, to go there, and I still want to go places. But I have a lot more patience for that now. Yeah. Like sometimes Becky will be like, let's go to Italy next year, and I'll be like, that might happen. I mean, right. I'm not going to say no, but I'd really rather go to Italy in like five years. Yeah. And we can do it right. Do it big. Yeah. Sure. So. I, I, and again, I, and like, I'm not against travel. Like, I'm down to go somewhere every year. Like, I'm down to... But just to, like, you know... You're right, though. There are people who go away for, like, six months until they're in their late 20s. Totally. I don't know if they're trying to find themselves or if they're trying to find... Well, I mean, it is a good experience. I, I, I'm, I'm sure. not... Yeah. Like, I'm not trying to knock on people that do that because I'm sure it can be very life-changing, too. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I just don't think that you can do this kind of chronic adventure jump 
throughout your entire twenties and expect yeah. it to, you know, necessarily pay out for you and expect to have stability back home. Yeah, exactly. Like you're just going to have to like, it's fine that you want to do that, but you're just going to have to start on the bottom rang. Yep. You know, unless you developed some like great work experience while you're traveling, which if you did kudos to you, yeah. but otherwise you're going to have to start on the bottom floor and work your way up at yeah. a later age than everyone else. I've been thinking about what it means to be a millennial. <laughs> like I, a little, kind of lately, because I'm watching, were we talking about the how I still watch Survivor? Did we talk about that on the podcast? Yeah, I'm sure we, we have before. I'm still, I still watch Survivor. I actually mm. still think it's a really good show, honestly. Mm. And they're, right now their shtick is to pit millennials against uh, Generation X. Right. And so the first few episodes were all about uh, how these millennials are lazy. They expected the they expect the world to be given to them. They don't understand the value of of working for your money. And right. Um, and very quickly, the Gen Xers stopped saying that, namely because they started losing. Right. And they really saw that the the millennials had a better team. Right. Than the Gen Xers, uh, Generation X was built on the principle of punk rock anarchy. So right. it's like it's like so ignorant to say that. But I, I was well, that's, texting. That's kind of the thing. I was like, like I could see maybe baby boomers, but baby boomers, you're not gonna pit them against millennials because well, they're kind of so, baby boomers is like a, is that a little bit older than Gen yeah, X? Th- yeah, like they'd be like in their fifties and stuff. Yeah. So it's funny that like Gen X, I don't think. The whole like Gen, Gen X, X cuts off, I think, at the age of fifty-two. Oh, it's really? The oldest okay. you can be in Gen X, right? So I think it's funny that they even use that as like the, the, the measuring stick because yeah. no one's like, oh, you know, those Gen Xers sure had a lot of like get up and go. Like it was no. It's well, that just... and like they destroyed the economy and the environment, <laughs> right? <laughs> like let's not talk about all their shortcomings. Yeah, were the most like I was talking with a friend of mine who I think he he's thirty or thirty-one. I was texting with him the other day and I kind of got annoyed because he, I mentioned something about millennials and he made a, a pashaw comment about, cause that's become a bit of a pejorative millennial. Sure. Um, and I said, well, hang on, you're a millennial. And he really was bothered by that. And he rattled on for a few texts about how they're the worst generation ever. And I just had to not have that conversation anymore because Who was this? Uh, it, I'll tell you after we're okay. off. Sure. Cause I think this is rich. Um, okay. But it, it's the most creative um, entrepreneurial generation of all time. Right. And it's definitely the most um, hands-on in that it's, it's contributing towards like a greater thing. Like it's, it's a socialist generation and Mm -hmm. that's another word that is supposed to be a good thing that has become a pejorative. Mm -hmm. So it's a cooperative generation. Um, It's, it's, it's got its weird quirks and pretensions, but I mean, so who did doesn't. who yeah. doesn't it's just like i i can't believe generations inability to notice how much they sound like their parents when they say your music sounds like noise and it's funny i was talking at work and someone said like they say that about every generation though like mm. they said that about gen xers like the baby boomers said that about gen xers and the gen xers and the baby boomers are saying it about millennials and right we'll probably be saying it about someone else right this is a a, a lovely conversation about existentialism and, yeah. and growing up <laughs> Yeah. In a podcast where we kind of intend to talk a lot about divisiveness. Maybe Clinton will change all this. Hey, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully it's Clinton. Oh, my God. Uh, I was saying I uh, tossed a little bit of money into the stock market. Okay. Um, and what I tossed money into 
uh, will hopefully rise a lot when mm. Hillary gets in. Okay. And I said, maybe I should just take this money out and put it all on Hillary to win <laughs> on like an online gambling site. You're so right. Because, because there are definitely people who who can't even entertain the thought of her winning. I know. Because of how badly they don't want that to happen. Right. So I'm like, I would. Re- I think it's going to happen. Okay. I'm going to go on record and say I think Hillary Clinton is going to be the president, and I think she's clearly the most qualified. Next time we have a podcast, though, there's going to be a new president-elect. Is that true? Yeah, because it's next Tuesday night. We release oh on Wednesday God. nights. Oh, God. So Tuesday. These are the last five and a half days. Wow. So... So anyways, I was saying maybe I should just take all the money out and put it all on Clinton. And then if I lost like, you know, $1,000 or whatever because Donald Trump got in office, do you know how angry that would make me (laughs) about his entire presidential reign? Where otherwise I'd be like, ah, fuck, I can't believe that. Right. But like I would have a visceral (laughs) reaction every time he got on TV. Yeah, it was personal. so ridiculous. Yeah. I almost kind of want to do it, but because uh, then I would just put that money back into the stocks. Yeah, but uh, but no, I think I'm going to stay away from that. It's, Although it's a it weird be time because I've I've gone in the last six months or so, I've gone back and forth between thinking who was going to win. Right. I think the first person I actually heard say I think Trump is going to win, mm-hmm. who was a person I I probably. Uh, align with politically was Michael Moore. He was on Bill Maher. And oh, he, he said that? And he said, he, he said it and then he got boos and he was like, stop booing. I'm, you know I'm fucking Michael Moore, right? You know I wouldn't be happy if that happened. <laughs> yeah. And he, he was just saying like, I'm saying it because no one else is saying it and we need to be afraid of that very real possibility. Yeah. Like, it, a couple weeks ago, she was like up by 12 points or something. She had her biggest lead yeah. in a year or something crazy. And the fact that they are reopening this FBI investigation is the worst fucking timing fucking period. Well, I heard it wasn't even like allowed. I It doesn't matter. Just because the fact it's just that it's out. there. Yeah. But the other side of me is is starting to wonder if everybody made up their minds ages ago and all of this is just busy work. Well, no, I think I think at this point they're trying to it's about getting the people out that weren't going to otherwise vote. Yes. So it's kind of kind of about mobilizing those people. Highlighting your responsibility. Yeah, because no matter how many people vote, yeah. there's still going to be millions of people that could have voted and didn't vote. Absolutely. So they're trying to get those people swayed. How do you feel about the lesser of two evils argument? Because there are a lot of people, there's, they're kind of split. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed Americans are divisive? <laughs> there's, there's kind of a split in, in their, their beliefs towards their, their democratic system, which is that everybody understands that the presidency is either going to go to the Democratic nominee or the Republican nominee, but mm-hmm. there's also the Libertarians and the Green Party. Right. Um, and some people are very democratically purist in that they believe you should vote for any one of the four you believe in, if not somebody else entirely, because there are a couple more guys up there too. Right. And then there are others who believe, let's be realistic, whether you want one of them or not, you have to vote for red or blue, and you have to pick the one you hate less. Right. So which side of the fence are you on? I think I'm on the pick the side you hate less. Me too. Um, I, you know, I... I hate, I don't think it's a throwaway vote. I think if, I think otherwise you're basically uh, filling out a census. Yeah. You're basically saying, well, here's where my 
opinion lies on this thing that doesn't really matter mm -hmm. because there's no chance that this person's going to get in. Yeah. And if there was, there would be more coverage around that person in the first place. And that would, which is a, a kind of a ridiculous process, but yeah, but yeah, I totally believe if, you know, basically do anything to keep Donald Trump, someone who has never done anything political in his life besides reality make TV. buildings and reality TV and <laughs> yeah. make money. I feel yeah. guilt about watching the apprentice as a, as a junior high student. I know. I feel. I feel like a. I was really into that show. Yeah, I watched it for a couple of seasons. At least yeah. the Celebrity Apprentice. I did. Oh, okay. It's kind of like it's kind of like having been entertained by the Cosby Show or a Woody Allen movie. That's true. Or, or Q was Gianca Meshi. You're just like, oh, now I feel dirty for having kind of enjoyed this. Right. And Donald was a cartoon character. It's not like I admired him. Sure. Yeah. But I was kind of like, oh, crazy Donald. Well, yeah. I don't know that I thought he was that crazy on The Apprentice, though. Uh. I think no. I kind of just thought like, oh, he's a smart businessman. Yeah, I guess. Did you see the the Sam B piece about how he maybe can't read? No, <laughs> it's, that's hilarious. It's but. funny. It, it it's. I mean, of course he can read, but it's it's built on the premise that if you have enough uh, media evidence to make people question, then it's as good as the truth. Right. Which that's true. which is a which is a Donald Trump uh, or or in in this case um, a Republican. Um, angle that's being taken an awful lot mm. the speculation that there's the chance this happened and so it probably did and let's imagine that it definitely did so she calls the segment people are saying right or everybody's saying it like because that's what donald trump says right um and she pieces together all these different times where he went off teleprompter um very clumsily or like in depositions where he's asked to read a paragraph and he doesn't have his glasses where he's never been seen wearing glasses ever right <laughs> and so it's it's put together very nicely right but they even have a clip of him saying that he knows some of the smartest people smartest people he knows are businessmen who are not literate and so it's almost like that's a tacit admission that it would be okay if he wasn't either. Right. And they go into this whole thing about how he hasn't read a book in 20 years. Um, and that's, I probably believe that is true. Yeah. He probably hasn't. God, this is so interesting. It's all very troubling. Well, <laughs> it's very strange. So uh, during the State of the Union address, are you going to be wondering who the designated survivor is? Because <laughs> that's I definitely uh, am. I, yeah, I know. It would be so funny. If Trump, it wouldn't be funny if Trump was president, but it would be funny if Trump was president and the designated survivor was Hillary Clinton. <laughs> <laughs> Not that she would ever be within a thousand people of the presidency while right. he was president. In yeah. fact, she might be in prison. In jail. Um, what did you think of that show? I thought it was fine. Because... I thought it was fine except for... Okay. So the whole premise is... This guy who's like the uh, infrastructure and housing secretary uh, of secret infrastructure and housing yeah. development. So he's like, I guess, uh, a cabinet minister or what, whatever they. Anyways, it's, he's a secretary. He's like a Leslie Nope level government official. Sure. Yeah. And so everyone else is in the 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 capital mm -hmm. uh, during the State of the Union address, and they pick one person to be the designated survivor. I'm thinking that if you're picking a designated survivor, you might pick a little bit more strategically than the person that you're ostensibly like firing from well, the... that's not how I understood it. 
I just kind of thought that the designated survivor was arbitrary and depended on the circumstance. Like, it, if if the if POTUS and the Veep both got killed, it goes to Secretary of State. He or she is then the designated survivor. And there's a hierarchy. And I just assumed that the first 38 people or whatever were, were all there. in the Capitol building. So that... Uh, defaulted Kiefer Sutherland to designated survivor. Yeah. I didn't so, assume that he was strategically left out of the Capitol meeting. Right. So he just defaulted to designated survivor. I just thought designated survivor, you would think that would be because they're talking like through the rest of the episode, like this guy doesn't, he's never ran for anything. He yeah. Didn't, like, I'm like, well, why was he ever in? I know it's like a super long shot, yeah. but you have a position for a designated survivor. <laughs> why was it the guy who like the president was like, we're kind of asking you to step down and move to Montreal. Well, and why is why is he above U.S. military general on the list? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like yeah, like that, like that guy who's clearly the bad guy. Sure, who wants to impeach uh, Kiefer Sutherland? Like, I don't like that guy because I'm not supposed to narratively. But right. it seems like he should have been higher on the call sheet, right, Kiefer Sutherland? Yeah, uh, I don't know. But I, I other, other than that, I thought it was like. Everything was like somewhat realistic. Like yeah. it, there was no other points where I was like, "Oh, come on!" Like, right? What is the? Ugh. I have a couple. So when we picked the two shows for this week's podcast, we it, under the, in the spirit of there being a presidential election next week, mm-hmm. which arguably features two main candidates who were both chosen by default. Yep. Kind of. Nobody better. Um, we have two shows that both star a main character who is the president by default. Uh, we didn't even think of Designated Survivor until like five shows down. Right. Um, but I've seen ads for this show, and it's actually getting pretty good reviews. Oh, is it? I haven't yeah, looked at it's any just, of I mean, reviews. it's a network show, so it's not like considered one of the cool shows. Right. Um, but then when I realized what the show is, it suits our, our premise pretty well. And we talked about how it might be kind of lame, but I actually found it kind of entertaining. Yeah, it wasn't, it was not bad. I don't think that I'm going to, I don't think that I'm going to, Pursue watch it. the rest of the series, but I think like Jen wanted to. Yeah, she I was I like, might watch I like another that show. One. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's it's trying to serve to the masses, right? It's mm-hmm. it's not on a network where people had to seek it out and want to be a fan of it. Right. It's trying to bring people in. It's trying to reel people in uh, with suspense or whatever. I was talking about it with Trevor this morning at work. Uh, he, we were just talking about television and you can answer that if you have to. No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> um, he said, have you watched designated survivor? And I was like, no, but that's weird. I'm going to go watch it on my lunch. And he says, well, it's kind of like 24 meets the West wing. Yeah. And so I went into it with that thought. And I mean, it's, it's more, it's definitely more serious than the West wing mm-hmm. and it's more dark than the West wing, but I guess therein lies the terrorism themes of 24. Right. Um, so Trevor watches it. Trevor watches it. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Which I didn't necessarily expect because he's quite highbrow with his, with his consumables. I think. Sure. I mean, I don't know. He watches like The Walking Dead and Game of Thrones, and yeah. But at least those are like critically acclaimed pieces of drama. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, there were a couple moments that made me roll my eyes, and overall, though, I think it's an entertaining show, and I think I will watch the next one. Okay. Um, I, I thought the premise is awesome, mm-hmm. and would probably make a great film. Yeah. Um. But the the script, the dialogue was really cheesy. Yeah, like like when, um, when he's walking, I don't know who she was. Maybe she was his um, uh, chief of staff, Emily. 
First right. of all, why does the housing development secretary have a chief of staff? <laughs> right. He was. It was before the terrorist attack, and he was walking out in front of the Capitol building in like the broad daylight, and he's got his winter jacket on, and it's just kind of affable and he's having a business conversation Mm -hmm. and he like basically mugs to the camera and says let's remember i'm not the president of the united states and i was like (laughs) fuck off you pick up on stuff like that and i like i I don't know if i just was maybe texting at the time well it's just like when they write stuff into a show purely so it can be used in the trailer yeah right (laughs) is silly but i mean again it was it was for everybody i think you make a great point about it being like like a movie it's perfect. Yeah. You don't have to drag that on forever. That's right. This it's premise just, it becomes, as a show is Then it like, becomes a thing about a guy who rises to the occasion and whether or not he he fails. Right. And then Designated Survivor, I think, just becomes about the president. Well, so it's that's just, the thing. Now, now like, it's just a now show about a guy the who's the president in a really sad version of the United States. So I think the only way that it works is if there's like like terror attacks are a constant on this show, which I think they might be. Maybe. I mean, that's very Jack Bauer. Yes. That's, and, and maybe that was, uh, you know, the reason for Trev saying 24 meets West Wing. I mean, that's kind of the obvious thing there, but he, I, I guess Kiefer Sutherland didn't want to do another TV show, except that he read the script and thought it was amazing, which seems far fetched. <laughs> but overall, like I said, I think it's I think it's pretty good. My mm. brother walked by while I was watching it. I was watching it at my parents and he just pointed out how unbelievable he found the glasses. He was yeah. like, I don't buy the glasses. They were kind of hip. Yeah, I kind of liked them too. I was, I was kind of buying them until he said that. He was like, yeah. they're just bad Halloween costume glasses. Well, and then when Cal Penn, who actually worked in the White House, yeah. uh, said those glasses aren't very presidential. I was like, you're the president. Fucking do what you want. Keep the glasses on, bro. Well, Except for that, that moment was where he was going to give his first address to right. the people and as he president. Was to be strong, and he's supposed to command presidency, yeah. so that people are on his side. But what does that fucking mean? It's so arbitrary. It's not very presidential. It's a thing that gets talked about a lot right now. Right. I mean, what's the archetype of of presidentiality? JFK. I guess I don't know. Jed Bartlett. I mean, it's not Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton. No. But you're right. It, maybe it is like a sharp guy in. It didn't Richard Nixon have glasses like that? Now that I think about it, I, I don't know. I've, I it's it's funny because in the in the other show we're going to talk about, they also reference her glasses. Did you notice that? Yeah, you're right. Because the other one we want to talk about that's is, interesting. We won't we won't delve into it yet because I'm not done with des- designated survivor. But uh, Veep, it's in the pilot. Mm-hmm. She's like, I want to put on my glasses, and they're like, No. Or it's the other way around. She's like, I don't want to wear my glasses. And so they actually have they make a point of talking about like the 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 way the image yeah the image in both episodes do you right? think back to the designated survivor do you think that the american people would accept president Kiefer sutherland i don't know his name tom something oh, do, uh, like when when this happened yep. they lost everybody mm-hmm. and they're all terrified and sad do you think americans would be inclined to go that's our guy. He's our hero or do you think they'd be like cal penn and go there's no way this guy can handle it i think if I were a resident of the United States and I saw, oh, this person was the designated survivor, I would just assume that that was that he was the right person in place for the job. Me too. Except it would get out pretty fast that he's a glorified real estate agent. Right. And that's how they would spin it because yeah. they find a way to make it dramatic and scary. But Americans also love a Cinderella story. Mm-hmm. So if they see this guy get up there who shows a little humility... 
but is also rising to the occasion. I kind of feel like it takes something like that to unify Americans who are so uh, abysmally divided. Mm -hmm. Like, like that's really the moral of this story in this the last two years of this election is the Donald Trump is just a byproduct of a a really really terrible case of divisiveness in in the states, and that there are people who are willing to put aside uh, uh, anecdotal proof that a guy is a racist and a misogynist and maybe even um, a, uh, a a sexual abuser, maybe right um, in in favor of their party. No, I wear red. I always wear red. So this is my guy. I have no choice. Yeah. I think as long as I saw Kiefer Sutherland's um, birth certificate, <laughs> I would be totally fine. Yeah. That was the other thing <laughs> Sam B. wanted him to do was actually read the long form birth certificate. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I was going to say, I don't know if you saw the uh, the Louis C.K. thing on Conan. Conan. It was yeah. pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It was pretty good. And I also, I thought he was... You know, I th- I thought it was kind of hip of him to, you know, not criticize people who were voting for Trump. He's like, I'm not going to attack that. Well, he did say this is risky for me as a comedian because I might be insulting half my audience. Right. But Louis is always so rational. Like yeah. he, he's for a guy who's kind of got an angry side. He really gives the benefit of the doubt a lot, doesn't he? Yeah. But can you sum up what his what his little shtick was? What his bit was? It was basically, you know, Donald Tr- like. First of all, he wants Hillary Clinton because she's like a mom. Mm-hmm. A mom is someone who just gets shit done and yeah. everyone can be screaming and yelling and she's like, "Well, uh, here's what I think. Uh, here's about the emails, yada yada yada." Like, but Donald Trump, you can't even criticize him or else if you do, everything stops. Yeah. <laughs> and he addresses that person that Well, criticized. and that was the brilliant of brilliance of the bit because yeah. who cannot applaud the fact that mothers are great? Sure. Right. So that yeah. that was really what he, how he got away with it. Yeah. But and then he spins it into we need a bitchy mom yeah. at the very end. So he really like travels that line. Well, then that's another thing that Trump supporters can appreciate is that he's not above criticizing Clinton. Right. And that's and that's a, a problem that a lot of Republicans are having right now is that they're not willing to go. No, that was definitely fucked up. Right. You know, they're just like, no, I, he's going to make America great. Right. <laughs> and but a lot a lot of people are like a lot of journalists away are from, from Trump too. not not as many people as you not fucking Giuliani. Not, no, I, not Chris but, Christie. Right. Not. You're right. But the, some of them are. But these are like the crazy people that I think just want to be in the White House with yeah, him. Yeah, I guess. You know, I, I guess John McCain was like, no. John, I do. John McCain was a badass, but even Mitt Romney was like, I can't support a guy who talks about my wife that way. Yeah. 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 I, I thought, I thought the, the Louis bit was, was very smart. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, it's interesting because it's, it's hard to, it's probably hard to be a celebrity right now and not endorse somebody. Right. Because he, I, at the end of the day, I don't imagine Louis wants to do that. He mm-hmm. doesn't want to go on there and talk about the thing everyone's talking about. Right. But he found a good angle on it. That's true. And I think I think you kind of have to. Yeah. Com- I think that's the challenge for a comedian at this point. Is like, okay, what angle can I take on this? It's like another test of their creativity. Two virtues to uh, the potential of a Trump presidency. Mm-hmm. One is, th- and this everyone has to remember this if he gets elected, 
It doesn't matter if Trump remembers it. He'll probably never understand it. But if he gets elected, you have to remember nothing's going to happen. He's everything he wants to do gets halted at Congress. Right. Four years and nothing. Yeah. Nothing. Everything gets halted at Congress. They've openly said, we will not support this. And they're Congress. Right. The other thing is that whether it's Trump or Hillary, I'm pretty sure we can bet on this being a one-term president. Yeah. Well, I would... Here's where I'm going to give Hillary the benefit of the doubt. Okay. I think she might surprise people Mm -hmm. because she has more experience than anyone else, like more than anyone I can think who would run next time. Totally. Unless it's going to be Biden, which Mm -hmm. I don't think it is. No. He's older than her. Right. And and yeah, I, I just, I don't think... Well, first of all, can another Democratic president even run? Like, uh, that's a good point. Second, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't so. think so. I think no. it's like the Republican has a chance against the current. The incumbent president. Incumbent. Yeah. Um, so I think she might surprise people. Yeah. Like, I don't think it's going to be as bad as everyone thinks. It might at least be status quo. Yeah. I mean, she'll only be able to surprise people what they're willing to accept right. is impressive. That's, that's totally true. You know, it, it, obviously, image and flair means something to Americans. It's why Donald Trump has gotten as far as he does, because he has no substance. He's never answered a question. He's right. never delivered a policy. He just has, I hate to say it, but a charisma that mm. people appreciate. Mm. And Obama, I think probably down the road, though he's been heavily criticized, I think down the road he'll probably be perceived as a great president. Yeah. But... He is flashier than most. And that, so it's going to be hard to have, if it's Hillary, it's going to be hard to have a president who's not cool. Yeah. But to Louis C.K.'s point, it doesn't fucking matter. You right. don't need him or her to be cool. Right. But this is celebrity culture. Did you hear about, now, one of our listeners, Brent, told me about this joke that was made at the, uh, the you know, the kind of like roast thing that they do at the church or whatever it was. This recently? Yeah, it was, okay. you know, when, when it's, it's kind of a roast, I guess, but like both, both parties are there, Hillary yeah. Clinton and Donald Trump and yeah. they kind of like get up and they start kind of like trading jokes and that's the whole, it's a charity initiative. Um, yes. It was right after the third debate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So one of the jokes that uh, like Hillary killed it, Yeah. but one of the jokes that Donald Trump made or his staff writers made and vice versa, like. Hillary staff writers or whatever sure uh made was listen i am get, like i'm totally getting undershadowed i like my wife i feel very bad for my wife <laughs> um this is trump obviously this is trump okay he's like michelle obama makes a speech three years ago my wife makes the exact same speech <laughs> and gets way worse of a response. Like, that was a funny joke. That's like that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. That is great. That, that's and so uncommon. He's willing to laugh at himself like yeah, that. Yeah. Yeah. Like that is, that was a funny joke. Yep. That's where you're kind of like, oh, wow. He, that did a pretty good job of humanizing him there for a second. Except it's still at the expense of his wife. Yeah, you're like yeah. yes, she represents him, but it's not him saying, uh, "I really fucked up on this one, no, guys." Yeah, no, I deserve right. lay it on me because right. it's it's just him like pushing it off on somebody who he doesn't respect. Yeah, probably because he doesn't respect anybody. Yeah, 
But that is, yeah, I'm still, I'm still kind of impressed with that. Yeah, no, that's pretty good. You got to imagine there's smart people in there somewhere. Oh yeah, there has to be. There has to be some mixed in. It's bizarre. Um, so, do we want to talk about the next show now? I guess. What else <laughs> did you like about Designated Survivor? I did. You kind of think that the kid. Okay, so Leo, his son. Leo looked like a mix between Taylor Lautner, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, and Jonathan Taylor. That's Thomas. Immediately, who I got. Jonathan Taylor Thomas is a good one. I think he was even wearing like a flannel shirt. He had the like, hair and yeah, yeah. The, yep, he had a perfect Jonathan Taylor Thomas look going on. The thing about his storyline that really bothered me was that he was like, he, <laughs> the the bomb went off. And then, like twenty minutes later, he's still selling drugs in this bump. He's club. selling e. No one heard about this. Yeah, yeah. no. Like, it, if the Capitol building blows up and the first thirty-nine people in row for the president died, like everyone on Earth knows that. Even in at six a minutes. rave, someone's got a phone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, no. Like, somebody... Especially in Washington. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I found that a little ridiculous too. That no one found that out, especially him who fucking worked at. Like, why could? Why was no one able to get in touch with him at all? And yes, they, they pinged his phone and like found him and everyone got used to it really quick. Like he, he was just like, ah, you know, all right, I guess I'm at the white house now. (laughs) Well, such that he was like giving this really rational comfort to his younger sister. Yeah. And you're like, dude, you're just at a rave. You're still rolling. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, he's like petting the pillow on her bed. Like, uh, he's still stroking the furry wall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Furry walls. Um, yeah, so I found that kind of silly. It's one of those things where you just kind of have to suspend disbelief. You know what mm-hmm. bothered me, and it kind of put a bad taste in my mouth for the whole show, is I'm getting really tired of this narrative trope of let's show you the climax in the first scene, and then let's and then backtrack, it, yeah. and let's build, go back to it. Yep. And they did it in the pilot of The Walking Dead, which we talked about last yep. week. Um, I just I find it's done all the fucking time. You're right. It's, I think it's a, a bit of a cheat code. Yeah, I mean, it's a good way to get things started, I guess. Yeah. To kind of establish what this show is going to be about. The other thing, to their credit, is that they got back to it really fast. Yeah. You know, like within 10 minutes, they were back to the terrorism. And then I think the show stayed there. Right. Um, but I don't know. Like, as a guy who doesn't really have any attachment to Kiefer Sutherland, uh, I, I, I thought he was very very likable in it yeah did you get to see him uh play in that country band a couple years ago <laughs> i remember that i think i saw him on a talk show i, w- I was super happy to see him yeah. live in person i was pretty sure i saw him on the halifax waterfront once yeah um it was a long time ago but i like remember seeing him and i was like that that could be Kiefer sutherland yeah. and then i realized that donald sutherland's from cape breton and I think they still have some family in Nova Scotia. Yeah, I think I think Donald Sutherland's from Ontario and has a home in Cape Breton. Oh, I see. Okay. I know yeah. there's a connection. Yeah. And in my head, I was like, well, of all celebrities, it's not impossible. Right. No, definitely but not. But then I never heard anything more about it, so I don't know that it was him. But I was in, in the moment, I was like, pretty sure it was. Yeah. The other one, another show about somebody who defaulted to the president, although it's a little bit different because I think this character super wanted it. Right. Uh is selena meyer is that her name yes veep which we've talked about a little bit on the podcast before because we've done a couple of emmy shows and veep is always very central in the emmys oh yeah are you watching this show no you know what it's it's weird that i haven't been watching this show yeah because i've every time i catch an episode or something i really like it i i think it was just kind of a commitment thing for me i I was caught behind the eight ball on it if it was something where i was watching every week Mm -hmm. i'd still be watching it but because i missed like the first two seasons i just never binged it out and 
You ever watch the rest? Have you ever had a show where you feel like though you've never been a, a fan of it or never been like a, a routine watcher of it? Like you probably you've seen the episode here and there. Mm-hmm. I I thought that I had seen a few episodes of Veep, and then I watched it, and I was like, I've never seen this show. No, no. Did you think it was funny? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was really funny. Yeah, me too. Um, I, the, Tom, I, the Tom Hanks dying line is <laughs> one of the best. It's so, really good. So Matt Walsh, the guy with the mustache mm-hmm. in that, he's one of the, the creators of the UCB theater. Yes. Him and like Amy Poehler and and Matt, Matt, uh, Bill, 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 something with a B. Yeah. I forget. Okay. Uh, anyways, Matt Besser. Matt Besser. Um, and one other person. But anyways, I, uh. I just I I was totally wondering if that Tom Hanks line was like something he made up or something they all kind of like improv because they're all like a bunch of great improvers. Well, apparently too. the show is loosely built on improv. Oh, okay. I, I read about this. So what they do is they write up probably similarly to Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. They write up an outline of what's going to happen in the episode and then they say, "Okay, go do it." Really? They they tell them to go do it and they film it and they improvise their best through the episode. And then the writers go write the show. Oh, really? Isn't that kind of cool? Whoa. So they take the show that the the actors built right. and they just they sharpen it and they keep in the stuff that worked yep. and they fill in the blanks. So they they kind of do do like a run through first? Yeah. It's how they start the show. And they probably, they might just do it around a table for all I know. Yeah, sure. But they they improvise the script first, and then the writers just kind of tighten it. That's so amazing. It's so cool. And it wouldn't work on most shows. Uh, It just makes me want to watch the rest of the show. Yeah. Which, it would be a show that I could see myself totally following up with. Something that occurred to me very quickly, it's not not wholly (laughs) true, but it it really stuck out, is that if, if, if traditionally dramatic actors were in these parts this would Mm -hmm. just be with the same script this would just be a drama like a lot of the jokes only stood out because the people are funny right which really speaks to the subtlety of the writing yeah like it's 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 much more comedic because of the talent of the actors right yeah i think you're right i um yeah i just really want to say that full line of like it might not be the the front page story tomorrow they're like how could it not be it's like (laughs) tom hanks might die and they're all like, whoa, come on, <laughs> That's man. too far. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, we can't base our entire thought process around Tom Hanks dies. I'm just saying. Is she, is I'm not she, hoping for it. Is she um, kind of villainous? Like, how do we... It's still the first episode. Yeah. How, how do we anchor ourselves in empathizing with Selena Meyer? I think she, she definitely still super wants the presidency. And yes. she's... Uh, but I think you you also kind of feel enough hopelessness about her that you feel a little bad. Well, and the other thing I didn't realize is that her character is not as sharp as I thought she was. Like when right. she really botches the uh, having to like um, vamp through that speech. Right. And she just can't do it. Yeah. Like I thought the point of her character was she was squeaky clean in the public eye. And behind closed doors, she's nuts. Oh, no. Well, I mean, that's too. a portion of it. Yeah, I guess but. she first... Because it's really... Cool. And does does the vice president really, like, hang out in another, like, headquarters? Yes. That's crazy. Yeah, like the... 
Well, and the vice president character is very seldom seen in the West Wing. Like, he doesn't work in the West Wing. Right. And probably for designated survivor reasons. For sure, yeah. You know? They're not supposed to be in the same place at the same time. I don't, I don't think he flies on Air Force One very often either. No. Uh, yeah, I don't think they can fly at the same time. There's a an urban myth that there are only two living people who know the full recipe to Coca-Cola, Coca-Cola. and they're not allowed to fly on the same plane. Right. I don't believe it for a second Mm -hmm. but there is an urban myth that says that i i bet like everyone in the coca-cola plant could tell you every recipe that's in there are probably lots of people who who are like experts in flavoring who can probably figure it out yeah and also if it if it came out tomorrow that trick coke and pepsi are exactly the same and have been for 35 years everybody who claims to taste a difference i think it's probably more a placebo than anything else yeah yeah definitely um, I think we should dive deeper into the uh, soft drink wars. Okay. <laughs> I'm just joking. You're probably right. I'm a Schweppes guy. <laughs> a Schweppes guy. Yeah. Well, you want to know what's funny is apparently Schweppes has been around like way longer than Coca-Cola. I told you that. You told me that. Damn yeah, it. Yeah, because I heard I about trying it on, to out on Stuff You Should Know. Right. Speaking of podcasts. Um, <laughs> that was last week. We talked about it on this show. We've Fuck. officially run out of things to talk <laughs> oh, about. Oh, <laughs> no. And I just tried to like take credit for it. Hey, no, that's okay. Cool. That's okay. Everybody has their own set of facts. I shouldn't have fallen down the Schweppes trap. Um, laid. This week? This week? Monday? No, it was last Thursday. Um, Joe Rogan was on Bill Burr's podcast. Mm-hmm. It was not the other way around. So Bill Burr's been on Joe's show before. But and I actually think they were probably taping it in Joe's studio because at one point, Joe refers to Jamie and says, can you turn down the temperature? But it was Bilber's podcast. And that's worth a listen. Sure. Like there's a couple of guys who idealistically seem to be very similar. Isn't it usually just like a 10 minute podcast? Bilber's podcast? Yeah. No, it's, um, it's about an hour every Monday. Oh, okay. And it's about 90 minutes on Thursdays, but half of it is clips from his old Monday shows. Oh, he has one on Thursday too. Yeah. It's the, it's the thursday afternoon just before friday monday morning podcast okay so he releases it on thursday nights and it's half new ranting and half old ranting okay yeah cool so what was what was discussed in this podcast i mean kind of kind liked? of the stuff that you would expect those two to discuss they like joe rogan attempts to debunk the wage gap sure. and they talk about i mean they talk about ufc and they talk about the kind of machismo stuff that suits both of them. But there's, there's something cathartic about listening to both of those guys. Mm-hmm. And I can, I can stomach Bill Burr in um, more frequent doses than Joe Rogan. Right. Cause I think he and I probably share more um, uh, philosophies, but both of them are willing to say stuff that I don't always agree with. Right. And it's important to listen to people that you don't agree with on everything. Mm-hmm. And it's also important to admire people who you don't agree with on everything, although that latter doesn't happen very often. Right. Um, and so I, I I try and listen to both of them because they'll say stuff about the wage gap or whatever that makes mm-hmm. you go, oh my God, right. how are you getting away with this? Oh, yeah. because you're you're not a bigot. There's a difference. Right. Anyway, I just thought that their, their conversation was rich and it's worth listening to. Nice. I will take that into account. I wasn't listening to a whole lot. Actually, I was listening to the Com- Comedy Bang Bang Halloween episode, which was really funny. Do they do like Halloween themed sketches? They do. Well, no, they, they the whole episode is kind of just around. Um, actually, if you ever want to hear Paul Rust from Love like improvise, uh, he's super funny on Comedy Bang Bang. Yeah. I think he used to work on Comedy Bang Bang a little bit too. Oh, wow. Um, so it's him and Andy, uh, it's not Andy Daly. 
it's John Daly hmm. and um, a couple other people that are just really funny, like a couple other people in the like upcoming comedy world. Yeah. Um, and it's hilarious. They're, it's them all in a haunted house. When is Good that time. show Love coming back? When did it come out last year? Uh, it came out in like February, I think. Yeah, I feel like I haven't heard enough about it for it to be coming out in February in 2017. I think it is. I hope it is. That's, yeah. that's a show that I really didn't care for at first, and then I kind of binged through the rest yeah. of. I'm interested to see where that show goes. Yeah. And also interested about, uh, or you might be interested to know that, was I telling you I saw Kyle Kinane last week? No. Speaking of love, uh, Kyle Kinane, he kind of plays the like douchey boyfriend in the beginning. Oh. He's like, like half homeless. Yeah. That hooks up with Galen Jacobs. He was doing stand up. He yeah, he was at he was for Pop Explosion. Oh great. Yeah, so uh we saw him at the library. Uh sure. at the Paul O'Regan Hall. Sure. And he was like, "Well, look at me now. I'm at a library." <laughs> and anyways, he was really funny. It was great. Nice. Yeah, I was pumped to uh, I try to see the big like comedian that's performing every year. Although there was a couple like there was a couple that were like writers on Pretty sure one of them was like a writer or had like a credit on like Fallon or had done stand up on Fallon and like I don't know why I missed all this, but I I, I haven't seen enough live stand up in my life. Yeah, and I should make more of a point of of doing it. Like, it was so much easier when we had like Jokers, and I think yeah. they had a they have a stand up night at Fickle Frog maybe, and I think they still have one at Barely's. Like there's you don't have to go to Yuck Yucks, which tends to be quite expensive. Right, but it's just it's not a thing that I group myself together to do. Yeah, and I love it. Like it's it's so fun yeah. to see live stand up, whether right. in a theater or a bar. Mm-hmm. And I should do it more. And I saw another place that doesn't open mic the other day, and I forget what bathroom door I saw it on. But I was like, oh, I'm gonna have to remember this, and I totally forgot. We went to I the most stand up I ever went to was when I was in radio school. We had a guy in first year. We had a guy in our class who was a stand up comedian. Really? And he was like kind of friends with some of the picnic face guys or whatever. He was a cool guy and he was funny. Mm-hmm. But it was when Jokers was still open. Remember Jokers? Uh, yep. Jokers was a cool authentic comedy club. it was it like, was so deep in the basement that you didn't get cell reception down there brick wall yeah like it was it was the real deal yeah and it was cheap mm-hmm. and they did weird shit yeah and it was it, like the thing about yuck yucks i mean pretty much everyone is funny but it's very polished like they're all working on their just for laughs set right and that's fine yeah but like they i remember seeing this guy I mean, he probably is just, he probably is just a real estate agent in Halifax or whatever, but like, I don't remember who he was, but this guy did a bit at Joker's about microwaving a cup of his semen. <laughs> and it's just, it was just hysterical and fucked. And yeah. I've never heard anything like it in my life. And you don't hear that in, uh, in the especially manicured clubs. Right. <laughs> That's, so you're saying it was like a pretty cool, like alt comedy club <laughs> i mean i don't know if the comedians would call it alt but it felt alt to me yeah it was like sure. i feel like i feel like a cool kid when i'm in here yeah yeah you're right it was fun i had been there a few times and yeah. i really liked it every time um there's a huge game happening right now did you know that uh b-ball no uh oh right the yeah the no the World cubs Series. and the indians yeah, yeah. I saw game seven Cubs and the professional sports baseball team, Colin, right? right. The, we uh, don't want to appropriate uh, native culture. Anymore. No, listen, you don't have to fight me on that. <laughs> I know. I'm just joking. <laughs> when I see that logo, I'm just like, Oh, the logo is yeah. like, the logo is pretty horrendous. Yeah. It's if that, if it was that logo combined with the Redskins name, yep. which is atrocious. Like how, how do we have a, a national football team? And I'm a huge NFL fan. Yeah. Uh, you know, 
obviously big time Patriots fan, but I, uh, the logo is like, I have a visceral reaction to it every time I see it. Well, that and like they refer to their huddles as powwows. Right. Like, I think they, I think they kind of always do that. Like with whatever baseball team. They I think that's, that's kind of a word there. like, like gypped that like has yeah, kind of moved on. It's, it's kind of transcended its racial attachments. Right. You can get away with it. Yeah. And I had no idea that powwow was a thing until like five years ago when I was like, oh yeah, I'm an idiot. I don't know. Things. Well, it's just when you think about it, like it's a word that I've definitely used yeah. on the radio. Right. <laughs> and, and not we been, had a powwow. And not been called out. Like, because sure. it's the thing that, that people just don't people, consider. People accept a bit. And but do you know the history behind these two teams? Well, I mean, I know all about how the Cubs haven't won in over 70 years. Yeah. Well, no, way over that. It Is was it? 1908. Oh, okay. Over a hundred years. Yeah. So it, maybe they, they haven't been in the finals since the 70 years ago? Yeah, they have not been in the finals since like 40-something. That would be it then. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know it's a big deal. I know that they're the underdog. And, and, and Cleveland hasn't won since the 40s. Well, then we have to. We still have to root for the Cubs, right? For the sake oh, of Cubs definitely. fans. Definitely. I, and Cleveland got, a, you know, they got your Cavs won a basketball championship. You're right. Yeah. So... You know, they got to be happy with having that for a bit. I guess Chicago has a Stanley Cup and stuff, too. They're pretty, they're doing okay sports-wise. Chicago. But the Cubs are such a tortured franchise. Like, how can you not cheer for them? Well, they're almost kind of cursed. Yeah, well, there there actually is a, there's, they call it the curse of the Billy Goat. Oh, really? There was, like, a an owner. No, he wasn't the owner. He was an owner of, like, a local business, and he brought his Billy Goat to this game. And it cursed them. And someone... Like the crowd got angry and was like, it was in the World Series at the in time. 1908? In 1908. In 1908. And the, or maybe it was a later one. Right, 1911 or whatever. But yeah. he said, this damn Cubs team ain't never going to win no World Series. And that was a prophecy. And yeah, and people are like, God damn, this <laughs> Billy Goat thing. And then there was the whole. Uh, that goat was the uh, chosen one. Brett, what was it? Bartman, Steve Bartman, who was a dude, it, and it wasn't even in the finals, but there was. There's a whole documentary made about this guy who's like been exiled out of Chicago. Someone hit uh, what most of the crowd thought was a foul ball, and they all went to catch it. But he was the guy who did catch it and took it away from the outfielder that was trying to snag it. Yeah. So they like lost by one run. And everyone in the crowd turned against this guy who basically fucked it up for the cat for the like outfielder. Yeah, and like he had to move out of Chicago. Oh, he was such a pariah. Yeah, and he was a huge Cubs fan. Aww. like his life, like, and he was just a kid. He was like eighteen, nineteen, twenty. Oh my god, Chi Town is so cold. Oh yeah, the coldest. That is the worst. Yeah, is isn't it possible? And, and I know it would never outweigh the want to be champions because it's a it's a great a thing when the underdog wins and i agree with that but isn't there a loss of romance when the cubs win and it's over They're- i don't know i like i i think if you talk to talk to like red sox fans they wouldn't say oh yeah things were different before we won the the final it was like a You're weight right. they, had been lifted off their they shoulders don't long for those those no there was a real and this probably exists in cub fans too 
there was like a real despondence among Red Sox fans. Like they're, this, they're like, we're here because we are committed to it, but this is painful. I think it'll be very, very, very sad for the city of Chicago if they don't win the World Series tonight because it's so hard to get that close yep. in the first place. Yep. That if you can get even close to there again, like what are the odds that you get the whole way through? Yeah. So on the flip side, I think if Chicago wins tonight, it is going to be the drunkest place in the entire world. Like yeah. people are going to freak out. There's going to be like crying in the streets. They're going to like shut Chicago down for a night. Um, did you know that back to the future predicted the Cubs would win the world series in 2015? Yes, I remember that. And 2015. Parks and Rec predicted that the Cubs would win the World Series in 2016. No. Yeah. Remember in the last season when they did a bunch of time jumping? I forgot about that. Yeah, they did predict that. They mentioned the Cubs winning in 2016. So that would be pretty cool if they could. That's crazy. <laughs> if they could resolve that Parks and Rec joke. Yep. That one off. Could you imagine if all of those things got resolved? Like all the predictions that they made? Yeah. What would be. What was the situation with. with the Red Sox, how long had it been since they had won? It was a... It was it, like it pushing was a, a century. It was, yeah, and it was kind of the same thing, like Curse of the Bambino, like they traded They traded away. Babe Ruth for like a restaurant or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, probably when those deals were legit. It was something uh, it was terrible. A property deal. <laughs> and it was, and among, and among fans, it was considered sacrilegious. And, yeah. And, and then they broke it. Remember the movie Fever Pitch with Jimmy Fallon? And, right, and that was being filmed as the 2004 year as of the 2004 world series was happening and they had to rewrite the movie yeah it's based on a book by nick hornby called right. fever pitch yeah which is a it's an autobiography like the main character is um is him oh. um is he a big red sox fan no because it's it's about soccer right it's I about, about british that. football yeah and they even made a movie a british version of fever pitch starring colin firth right which is more a direct adaptation of that book um so I don't know if his team loses in the end of the book, but in the end of the Jimmy Fallon movie, the Red Sox were supposed to lose. Right. Or it was just supposed to be like, yeah, our guy went on being a, a sad sack Red Sox fan like the rest of us, but at least he had love in his life. Right. Except they had to reshoot the ending where yeah. everything worked out for him. Right. I think it honestly might have, people might have liked the movie more if that year the Red Sox didn't win and... That was the result of the movie. That movie is uh, one of the, one of my film guilty pleasures. Yeah, yeah. I've I've definitely watched like I've seen parts of it and I'm like, yeah, this isn't that bad. It's a sweet movie. I like yeah. a decent rom com that doesn't try to be something that's not. Have you ever seen Going the Distance? Uh, starring with Justin Long and Drew Barrymore. Yeah, you're not referring to the song from Hercules. No. Okay. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, I saw that movie. <laughs> was it like sung by Michael Bolton? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nope. Not ring any bells. No, really. Uh, well, you knew it was Michael Bolton, so I, I did. I just, I just knew that. I as can a, go as a thing. the distance. Oh yeah, you definitely know that song. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> uh, Good music in that movie. So, yes, I've seen. I've seen Go in the Distance. It's kind of funny. I just yeah. it was it was like a TV movie the other night, and I Jen was watching it. I walked into the kitchen, and it was on, and I. I was laughing at things. Uh, the other married couple are Jim Gaffigan and Jane Lynch. No, Jim Gaffigan and Christina Applegate. Oh, okay. Yeah. Way to go, Jim Gaffigan. Yeah, no. Nice. Yeah. He's going to be on Fargo. So oh, his show. awesome. He's wrapped up his show, which by the way, I watched a full episode of last week. Yeah. It was fantastic. 
Yeah, I've I've heard nothing but good things about it. It was this the whole thing. It was based on this real situation he got himself into, where he tweeted that women should stop getting their nails done. Men don't notice, and so he fell under fire. All these feminists saying that uh, that he's sexist for for suggesting that women get their nails done just to appease men. Right. And so the episode is about how he's on trial for that tweet. Okay. And so there's all these celebrity cameos. He goes to jail and right. like Artie Lang and Gilbert Gottfried are in jail for <laughs> saying other sexist things. Right. And um, what's the guy from Star Trek who plays Spock in the movie? Um, oh, Zachary Quinto? Zachary Quinto is the lawyer who's like defending against Jim uh... Gaffigan. And it's really great. Raven Simone is the judge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. It was a funny episode of television. Anyway, he's he's only gonna he's gonna stop after two seasons or whatever, and he's going to Fargo. Right. I think yeah, he's super funny too. Yep. yep. And his his comedians and cars was really funny, and I think it, they use all his like kids and stuff in the show too, don't they? Maybe he, no, none of his kids were in this episode. But the whole show is kind of about him living in an apartment with his his with his uh, wife and like too many children, family. like four yeah. or five kids. Yeah, yeah. Why does he do that? What is he trying to prove? I don't know that he still does that. I think he does. Yeah. I mean, like, this is a theater-touring comedian. Like, I bet he... I I, I bet he has eight digits in his bank account. He must. Right. Yeah. So what's know. going on there? I Maybe he's a gambling addict. <laughs> or maybe he just, like, secretly and doesn't want to share it with the world because it's kind of he knows it's kind of out there. Maybe he's got some weird philosophy about minimalism. Sure. I mean, that makes sense. Like, you, you honestly... Do you need that much space? No. Do I need to buy a house? No. I could totally live in a a five hundred square foot apartment. That yeah, would be fine. But maybe they do need more than an apartment in New York City yeah. for seven of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think you're definitely right. And I think you need a house too, my friend. Ah, thanks, man. Come to the housewarming. I, I, are you having one? You don't have a house. Well, once I have a house, we'll warm it. Okay, well, we'll see where you and I are at that point. <laughs> well, <laughs> way to take an optimistic look at it. Ah. Uh, I, I mean, we didn't talk about the shows that much, but I'm okay with it. Yeah, I don't know that there was a whole lot more to get to than that. Actually, we probably definitely could have, but the way the conversation went was the way the conversation went. Artistically, my favorite moment in Veep was just that last frame where they kind of zoom out on the office and you just see the bustle. I was yeah. like, this is like a very beautiful shot. Like, there's yeah. there's care in this. This is not just about comedy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was almost Woody Allen-y. Yeah. Really? Yeah, kind of. Woody allen -y. Woody Allen-y. All right. I got to go watch some Woody Allen movies too. And I just watched a Woody Allen movie up. called An Irrational Man. Um, and it, I hated it. Yeah. Well, I don't even remember it coming out. Like usually the Woody Allen movie that comes out annually gets like a little bit of attention. But who is in that one? Joaquin Phoenix and Emma Stone. Oh, wow. Like you would think it would have been a big deal. It came out like four or five years ago. Oh, okay. And it's about, it's, it's based on um, Dostoevsky. What was this big book? Who? Dostoevsky, the Russian novelist and playwright. I have no idea. It's based on his his most celebrated work about an educator who has a student with whom he forms something of a relationship. Um, Joaquin Phoenix plays this like this very like existentially obsessed guy who's depressed and he's depraved and he's. He's kind of like a, a David Foster Wallace type if okay. David Foster Wallace took risks. Right. Um, 
like he plays Russian roulette at one point and he's just like he's just like very sad wow. and so he decides that he overhears um, in a diner he overhears this woman complaining about this awful guy who's ruined her life and so he decides that if he were to kill that guy he will have done her a service he will have done the human race a service by ridding the world of this evil guy and he will have found purpose and something to uh, beat his heart again right and so he devises a plot to kill this guy which he does and it's all done under the guise of um comedy and i i hated it yeah you <laughs> it was weren't in terrible it. it was so unnecessary woody allen has a tv show out now too right what's the show again it's called uh crisis and six acts oh yes i think that's what it's called yep it yeah has, I, i've seen a trailer for it uh, it has what's her name in it have you watched it no it'd be interesting we could talk about it on the podcast yeah i'm kind of down to check it out a little bit all right well then i'll save any other woody allen references for another day sure that'd be good because i've got very few uh tweet us your thoughts at show show podcast we're up to 20 followers whoa and about half of them are uh porn star bots but <laughs> But the rest of you... Hopefully the other ones are actual porn stars. The rest of you are treasured listeners, mm-hmm. and we appreciate you. Follow us if you don't. Yes. At, what is it? At Show Show Podcast? At Show Show Podcast. At Show Show Podcast. In the meantime, uh, go Cubbies, I guess. Can we Go say that? Cubbies. That's, Our Cubbies are playing. Maybe that's even more divisive than clearly taking a, a liberal... <laughs> we became liberal shills at the beginning of the mm-hmm. podcast, and now we're just like, go Cubbies. Yep. And then we got politically correct on the Cleveland sports team. Yeah, that was wrong, too, of them. That, mm-hmm. was, that wasn't cool. Um, uh, I will probably watch another episode of Destinated Survivor. Probably won't bother with Veep. You're the other way around. Yeah. Yeah, I'd rather catch up on Veep. Okay. Um, so let me know how Designated Survivor goes. And uh, never trust Will Smith. And uh, Michael B. Jordan is the future. And uh, never go outside. Do you think we should pick one? Sure. What's the best one? Well, I don't know. Never Go Outside was the original. I know. I do like Never Go Outside. But sometimes you have to go outside. (laughs) (laughs) People are going to argue that, and they're going to be right for arguing that. Yeah. And, well, sometimes I have to go outside, too. Like, every time I go outside, I'm I'm thumbing my nose at our mantra. Uh, But I would never trust Will Smith. We don't have to trust Will Smith. Okay. So one just go never trust Will Smith. Never trust Will Smith. What was her reason for not trusting Will Smith? In the Bec- first place? I think because I think because he's um, he's into polyamory. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's why he came up. Oh yeah. I think because he has an open marriage. I'm we... still curious about that. Like yeah, like how that works. It's I'm gonna read into are, it. There are bit. certain things that the media in celebrity culture obsesses over. Yeah. Like Taylor Swift. And there we... are other things that everyone just kind of assumes and has kind of put to bed. Like John Travolta is definitely gay, but we don't harp on it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, that, that's his right. Although he doesn't want to come out and he still wants to remain a Scientologist and hide everything in the vein of that. Right. Never trust Scientologists. <laughs> um so, I want to make one of my projects for next week. Okay, we're starting a new podcast now. I, I want to re- make my, my project for next week to read about uh, Will Smith's polyamorous life. Okay. And based on that, come to a conclusion of whether that should be our tagline. 
we will we will come back and regroup and discuss all of the facets that have gone into the suspicion mm-hmm. that there is uh, a polyamorous relationship between Will and Jada. We'll do a segment on it called like uh, uh, Will's uh, Will workings or something. <laughs> will will. <laughs> Will 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 willed it. Willy or won't he? Oh yeah, that's what we can call. <laughs> that's what big call Willy it. style or won't <laughs> or big won't he style. And in the meantime, until we we until we know for sure, trust Will Smith cautiously. Yeah, very cautiously. Go Cubbies. <laughs> <laughs> that should be our new tagline. <laughs> <laughs>